This podcast is brought to you by the Trillium Awakening Teachers Circle. To find out more about how to grasp the means of your own awakening, visit our website at www.trilliumawakening.org. So, welcome everyone. I'm here with Steve Boggs, my dear friend. Uh for Living Library interview, and it's an honor and joy to see you, Steve, and I'd like to just welcome you and invite you to share anything about your own evolution as a Trillium teacher, what your initial sense of being a teacher would be like, your orientation, and what might have changed in your focus or practice over time, and all of this with an eye towards speaking to new teachers, what advice might you offer? Mm. Mm. Just wherever you want to go with any of that. <laughs> okay. Well, I would say that um, I, I came to this work rather late in my life. I was probably in my 60s, and, and I, I came from nearly 40 years of practicing and teaching meditation. Mm. And it's pretty serious practice because the last... 35 years, I was devoting probably average three hours a day practice. And there are a number of periods during those 30 years when I took longer and more extended courses of three months or six months or nine months where we would plan and meditate seven or eight hours a day. And you can imagine uh, in situations like that, you come into some pretty rarefied states. And um, I think it's safe to say for those 30 years, I was very much a uh, transcendentalist. I was, I was going to say in search of, but I wouldn't say in search of so much. I was, in, I was cultivating the, the one, the true, the pure, the immovable, the yeah. uncreated, the um, unfailingly radiant, heatless, smokeless, effulgent of the self. Mm. And that glorious goal uh, was... Um, Rewarded. It was. I, I was not without a substantial experience of that. You don't continue doing something for forty years uh, if you're not making some pretty good progress. And um, yeah, I, I would say that that in in my experience of that period, uh, there was a long trail of what at the time were described as good experiences, both in meditation and outside. And um, but the, the thing is, when you continue that for such a long time and um, don't entirely, how do I say this? Uh, don't entirely arrive at your stated goal that I, you know, all those adjectives I just threw out there. Um, mm. uh, the, the tendency and so often even the instruction as well, meditate more or do these other things. I, I had, uh, you don't do that with, with, for that long without accumulating a lots of advanced techniques and procedures and processes and whistles and bells. And, and I didn't even realize it, but I was like one of those uh, female uh, uh, acrobats in a Chinese acrobatic thing, you know, that they have those sticks and they spin these plates. Oh yeah. You know? Then they have one and they get two. Oh man, they can do two. And then I do th- and that three and then you can look and they get more and more and they're spinning these like a five plates 
and they're and they're riding a unicycle, and the <laughs> unicycle's on a balance bar. <laughs> and if you practice that, you get to be a, you know quite adept at, at a lot of whistles and bells. And I was like that after four years. Uh, and um, it, so it I, has, I assume it did not it did not feel precarious at all. No, you were comfortable no. to the person who's yeah. doing that, who's who's practiced that for four years. Yeah. Five, five, five places, nothing. Ten places might be a challenge, you know. Uh-huh. And no, it, it felt normal. It's a natural progression of more advanced techniques and more, okay, so now do this. And, and mm. you know, increasing familiarity with, familiarity with that really deep zone between somewhere between thought and perception and these subtle fields. Mm-hmm. And um, they also spilled over into your life, into, okay, what to eat, how to eat, when to eat what herbs to take at what time of the year and, and more and more was always available. There's, as you know, there's no end to self-improvement and, and it got into, well, what color clothes should you wear? What um, gemstones should you wear? What periods of your life on, on which finger of your hand do you install it on? What day of the week on and uh, uh, <laughs> in your, what kind of house should you live in? What proportions in and, what, what compass direction should you face when you're standing at the sink or sitting on the toilet? And like, you know, <laughs> there's no end, you know? <laughs> and I was doing all that. It, it, it seemed natural. I, 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 the, the goal was so precious and so, you know, inculcated into me that, that no, no, all these little things accumulate and, and sudden and your, your whole life is directed towards that. And, mm. and um, I, I, but I, I ultimately I started to feel like I was kind of on a Xenos, a Zeno's paradox of approach without that uh, self-validating confirmation of arrival. I was getting closer and closer and closer and wondering if I'd ever arrive. You know that? Zeno's paradox. Yeah. And um, it, coincidentally, at that same time, some friends of mine who had accompanied me on this long journey, 40 years, uh, said, you know, we, we found this, uh, this, this, this finishing school, which we think is pretty great. And uh, you should look into it, Steve, because this might be right up your alley. Mm. And it was this work. And my first, expo- my first experience of this, I was here in Fairfield, and Samuel turned up in town and made a presentation at the Fairfield Public Library in 2002. Mm. And uh, I was a little nervous there because I was, I was then going to become a... Uh, apostate in the ashram because the whole town of Fairfield is an ashram basically you know 2,500 diehard spiritual seekers all, all doing the same the same all those techniques that I was referring to and uh, here I was showing up I was casting a wider net you know which is not common here and um, so I was, I was set somewhere in the middle maybe towards the back and I was gonna and the first thing Samuel said was well I'd like everyone to say who they are and what they, what they expect from, from being here. I mean, I, I like to get a feel for who you people are. And I thought, oh, great. <laughs> just, just I'm what trying you're... to be invisible. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've always been a very uh, uh, innocent, uh, sincere, overly earnest, diligent seeker. And here I was, you know, becoming heterodox. Mm. So I figured out something I thought was respect, sufficiently respectable to say in 30 seconds. And finally got to be my turn. I was looking at Samuel and he was looking at me and everything I thought I was gonna say was just gone. I didn't know what to, I was just panicked. 
And uh, all I could do, all I, when I heard myself blurting out was, I'm just so tired of swinging back and forth between hope and resignation. And then I just put my hands in my face and cried quietly to myself. And, and I thought, holy crap, what the hell's going on here? And it was my first taste of the power of this transmission. Oh, how beautiful. To, to pierce and cut through all of the mental accretion, you know, all the respectable stuff that you have to present yourself to the world and to call out who you actually are in your heart of hearts and to enliven that and to bring it to the fore. And um, I did, little did I know it at the time, but I was a large and dry pile of kindling waiting for the spark of this transmission. (laughs) (laughs) And I have been helplessly aflame ever since (laughs) December of 2002. (laughs) What a great metaphor. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah, so this work is based on, a, on most of the heavy lifting, and this is based on a, on a transmission. It's completely different than the Advaitic dimension of, of what I was doing before, because it's very much like most conventional spirituality, which is typically thought of as an ascent. You know, you, uh, you're in search of greater purity, greater accumulation of greater spiritual clarity, and you're climbing Jacob's ladder whether it's Western, Eastern, most, probably 80% of these processes are, have to do with ascent and increasing purification and, and um, cultivating the numinous. And um, this, I discovered initially to my dismay that it is a descent, <laughs> it's unnerving, and it's uh, feels hazardous and actually is. And uh, it's, it's threatening to all of the uh, accumulations of, of uh, spiritual and psychological armor that we've, we've accumulated in, in living this life and in, in a world where love really hasn't taken its hold yet. You know, and we all come to this with our tender spots and um, it's a tantric process, but I want to immediately clarify, I want to use that word. It's, um, in the West, Tantra has tantras unfortunately become known as uh, uh, making a religion of, out of having great sex. And uh, it's not, uh, well, it's not, it's not that, it, it's that's such a superficial and insubstantial simplification. Uh, it, it's, there's a long and uh, rich, deep lineage that goes with this and, and which stems from something called Kashmir Shaivism. And it's um, the difference between you know, most of spiritual tech processes in this is that there's not a lot of practices to, for you to impose on yourself. There's not so many do's and don'ts. And uh, all the things that are thought of often as, as obstacles to spiritual growth in this work are embraced. And through that embrace, um, <clears throat> transformed and ultimately and here's the key ultimately realized to not only not be obstacles 
but, but not actually be separate from that, that what you thought was that, that wondrous spiritual goal that, that you were going to inhabit one day when you rose above all of the limitations. Mm-hmm. The question that this process asks is, what if there's nothing to renounce? What a, yeah, it's a breathtaking question. Uh, because the way this awakening happens right in the trenches of, of life. And uh, I, w- I would say that um, some years ago, there was, there was a play off-Broadway in New York called Now Hear This. It sounds like a prelude to an announcement on a naval submarine or something. <laughs> now hear this. There's the captain speaking, adjust to, uh, uh, to uh, degree 281 or whatever. But it, that's not it. The second word, the hook is, the second word of this is H-E-R-E. Mm. Now hear this. And that kind of symbolizes how I sense uh, how, how this, where this work takes place, how it is... Uh, embodied in this world right now right here just this whatever is arising um, within you internally or externally in your circumstances is where this awakening occurs and in that way all the things that you've been avoiding some of your worst stuff you thought of of, of as as your, your your greatest impediments can be part of of your spiritual journey through that embrace and um, that is so you know so kind of diametrically opposite to that purity that I was cultivating for so long um, and I so I guess what I would say about myself as a teacher is what I transmit and teach is um, the divinity of ordinary life. Mm. And uh, my, what I've come to know is that there, there's a porous, tender, burning communion with all things that characterizes in some people this embodied, awakened life. And that's very much the quality of what I found in, in my awakened life. And um, there's a kind of radical uh, intimacy that presents itself. And you, um, You, 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 the, the, the paradox of, of being both distinct and not separate um, is it, it, there's a felt sense of kinship with, with everything that, that, that happens all around you. And, and the uh, tradition I used to be part of, there's an idea in Sanskrit concept, Maya. Maya is often thought of as that Maya translated directly is that which is not. And it's often interpreted as the world is an illusion. And the ego is not existent. And you just have to see it truly. And I think a better definition of Maya is all things are separate. Because for me, the most fundamental quality 
that I recognize in this awakening is this non-separateness with everything. This, what I call this radical intimacy. And um, you're just, you're not separate from what? From this cynicism and guile of our president or from the appalling or, or, or the um, intense reaction of people to him or the love and devotion of those who follow him. And you're not separate from the, the hunger and the thirst and the sleep deprivation and the fear of the migrants walking thousands of miles across the desert in southern Mexico and fleeing in hopes that their children might not die before their time. And, and you're not separate from any of that. And <clears throat> and you're not separate from the little girl who's in her first school uniform in early September, holding her mother's hand, crossing the street in front of your truck. And she's looking up at her mother with uh, trepidation and with exhilaration and her mother is looking down at her with such endearment and the little girl says, mommy, why are you crying? And you, she says, it's okay, honey. I'm crying because I'm so happy. And you're not separate from that. Mm -hmm. You see that you're just pierced by it. And um, that's this, that's this awakened life for me. And, um, I think I'm, it's fair, probably fair to say that um, most of the members of the Trillium Awakening Teacher Circle have some version of this, this embodied awakening, but I, I don't think it's any secret that the more florid dimensions of my awakening life make me somewhat of an outlier in that group. And I've become comfortable with that over the years. And if I were to say anything to new teachers, I would say um, this, a large part, it seems to me, of your awakened life is going to have to do with the um, with the divine architects that may actually be here for you to personify in this world. Because that's probably a, uh, the more most meaningful question that arises in this in this uh, awakened life is okay. Well, now I'm finally really here. So what what next? What do I do now? And so um, I would say lean into those subtle parts of yourself which sometimes make you feel awkward. Um, magnify your eccentricities. And um, it's, it might make the blood run cold, but it, 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 I've often found that the places that are most, feel like the most, the shyest and tenderest parts of who you are, those are where your gifts lie. And 
you will, you will never feel more exposed than when you reveal that part of yourself and you will also be, uh, you'll never be more radiantly generous to the world than at that moment when you are naked to the world, to this tender, um, subtle, but actually quite resilient part of yourself. It doesn't feel that way when you're first taking it out for a spin to see what it's gonna reveal, but it is resilient. And I would encourage you to find those shy, tender parts of yourself and see if you can uh, give them voice. So inspiring and encouraging and beautiful. It just feels like manna from heaven hearing this. And uh, can I ask you a question? Yeah, yeah sure. Like, coming from the tradition you did where the role of teacher was very different than the role in this work. Yes. Was that like a you just intuitively reconfigured into the stream of this where there was there a disjunct at the beginning or uh, not really because um, I, like I said I was kindling and, and once once I was a, a flame <laughs> that was the new direction and uh, it's it, it's clear to me that's who I'm here to be and mm. in the 16 years since since then I, um, it hasn't diminished it hasn't it's i could say it's it's a lot more manageable the the intensity is less breathtaking than it was at the beginning and my somehow i guess my nervous system has adapted to running at a higher voltage spoken <laughs> <laughs> as an electrician yes yes and actually i was listening to a, a some a scientist talk about this and he said actually there, there's a lot of neuroplasticity even late in life 60s and 70s you They've observed that actually in long time, 10,000 hour, 20, 30,000 hour meditators, the amygdala actually gets smaller. Mm. And there are parts of the uh, neocortex, the gray matter gets thicker and your brain does change later in your life. And um, so, yeah, no, it wasn't difficult because I was, um, uh, when I fell into this and, and caught fire, it, it was just it had a life of its own, and I, I was just—I was trying to just catch up with what was already galloping and shimmering across the universe. You know, oh, Steve Boggs' character was, was you know finally in full throat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just love your use of language. I imagine that's very catalytic for mm. students. Because it, it's so vivid and embodied, this galloping and shimmering, you can just see it and feel it. And yeah. I, I sense that that's a tremendous gift that you just spontaneously are able to offer. Thank you. Yeah. I hope so. And um, yeah, I would say shimmering, I would just say that it, it's, it's more, it has become the new normal for me. 
but mm. still, I would still say that there is just that nameless something that's unfathomable and, and, and it shimmers just beneath the surface of everything. And it's always there. And it, and it touches me in all these different forms. Like I mentioned, the, the mother escorting her daughter across the street or in, or in, or in the, the challenging forms of it, because uh, your, your non-separateness is not just with the good stuff. You're, 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 you're not separate from the whole range of, of from the most uh, ecstatic to the most case of greatest depraved indifference. Uh, there's, a, there's a part of you which, which feels intimate with that. And it's, it's a challenge to be in the tumble of that, of that living in this realm where everything is so temporal and so contingent and so uh, shifting. And yet here you are, and you are not separate from any of it as it tumbles through its kaleidoscope, you know, and that's you. Mm. And um, that's how the deeply embodied awakening life is often felt, mm. seems to me. That is so, so rich and generous and gorgeous, Steve. So appreciate you. Thank Does you. anything else come yeah. arise to be mm. shared? Well, uh, what's uh, it's still an exploration for me. Uh, it's becoming more clear. I'm trying to find the words for it, but I would say, you know, that self I referred to, the one, the true, the pure, the immovable, the unfailing reality that I was seeking and sitting on a cushion by myself. I find now that the, the true self, capital T, capital S, is... Um, I guess the best way I could say it is, it's, it's the indivisible field of love that actually surrounds us and is, is omnipresent. And it's the air that we breathe. Um, it's, it's like a fundamental force like gravity. Uh, in, in a, yeah, in a sense I would say, it's like gravity and like gravity is an attractive force that's always drawing everything, all matter into closer connection. It's, mm -hmm. Gravity is the arrows of matter. And like that, this fundamental field, there's gotta be a better word, but I can't know of what it is, but this fundamental field of love, which just, it's just there and Most, most, most accurately characterizes the true self that I was seeking all those 40 years. Yeah. Wow. Yes, I resonate with all that you have said and I couldn't possibly have articulated it. So your naming of all this is like a, a validation and a green lighting and acknowledging yeah. this dimension. You're like a poet laureate. 
<laughs> this archetype. Do you have a name for your archetype? Oh, I would say it's the devotee. If it was oh. the, the devotee, the one who's just for whom adoration comes naturally. Mm-hmm. You know, you know that. Yeah, and um, I'm also enjoying this course that we're both taking, the sacred activism, and, and mm-hmm. some of the things that I said may also appear in the blog that I'm going to put together for our next session. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, I look forward to that and to many more conversations with you. Yeah, I hope so. Thank you so much, Steve. Thank you, Deborah. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from the Trillium Awakening Teacher Circle. The musical accompaniment is Awaken by Wayne Kington. To learn more about Wayne and his music, visit www.waynejosephkington.com.